I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. According to Professor of Political Science Instituto Tecnológico Autónomo de México, Alejandro Moreno, the visit of Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador comes at a moment when, according to Mexican pollsters, favorable opinions of the United States are at their highest in many months. Professor Moreno was one of the participants at a recent Wilson Center webinar to discuss the visit of Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador with President Donald Trump at the White House. The director of the Wilson Center, Duncan Wood, moderated the webinar. From the Mexico Institute at the Woodrow Wilson Center, um, it's great to be here. I'm delighted that we have such a stellar panel today um, to discuss uh, U.S.-Mexico relations in light of the uh, the visit by President uh, Andrés Manuel López Obrador to Washington. Uh, the Mexican president arrived last night. Um, he's already had a busy agenda this morning, laying wreaths at the monuments to Lincoln and to and to Juarez. Um, there will be, of course, the uh, the very important meeting at the White House later on today, and uh, and a high level dinner later on. Um, this is a visit which uh, you know a presidential visit is always an important thing. And uh, for a think tank like the uh, the Mexico Institute, um, it uh, it really pushes us to uh, to take stock of where we are in the relationship. It pushes us to uh, to put forward ideas about where the relationship could and should be going, uh, and it gives us pause to consult with the the real experts. And we're we're very very fortunate to have five uh, fabulous ex experts with us today. We have uh, three ambassadors. Uh, two academics, uh, people who are very, very active uh, in the public policy sphere as well in Mexico. So, uh, first of all, I'd love to, uh, I'm delighted to introduce uh, Ambassador Roberta Jacobson, who, of course, is uh, is well known to many people, both here in uh, in Washington and uh, and in Mexico, of course. Um, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, ambassador Tony Wayne, uh, another former U.S. ambassador to uh, to Mexico. Um, and both of these uh, these people have uh, been terrific friends to the Mexico Institute and to the Wilson Center in general. Ambassador Geronimo Gutierrez, Geronimo, great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's, uh, it's it's brilliant to have the uh, the Mexican diplomatic perspective. Uh, Carlos Heredia, um, doctor, it's great to see you. Um, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I know that you have uh, a lot of uh, both interesting perspectives from sort of the inside, the outside, and... Uh, and some analysis of what this visit means. And last, but by no means least, our, our friend Alejandro Moreno. Alejandro, thanks for being here. You're going to be giving us a, uh, a, a public opinion perspective and beyond on this visit. So as I said, a, a presidential visit is always an important thing. And uh, normally we, we celebrate these as opportunities to focus on the relationship. And we hope that the two governments that are involved are going to take the time to reflect upon where we are, uh, where we're going and what we should be doing. Um, it's interesting and intriguing, though, that when you look at the U.S. media, an op-ed by uh, Jonathan Ackerman uh, in the Washington Post this morning, which says that this is the triumph of uh, uh, of, of reason over politics. Um, but beyond that, it's very, very difficult. I mean, it's interesting to see that there are so many outlets uh, and uh, important newspapers that are saying that are focusing on the negative aspects of this uh, of this visit. So what I would like to do is I'd very much like to have a balanced conversation today. It's what we do at the Wilson Center. We try to bring in all perspective. Um, and uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin by focusing on the dynamics of a presidential visit. So 
Roberta, if I can turn to you first of all, you have been involved in, in presidential visits. Um, I'd love you to, uh, to talk to us about you know, what really is involved. And one, one element in particular that I'd like to, to, to draw you out on is that often presidential visits take months to plan and to prepare for. This one seems to have been done in a little bit of a hurry. Um, you know, could you talk us through about what goes into a presidential visit and how you see this one shaping up? Well, thanks, Duncan, and thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And certainly thanks to my co-panelists, who are among my closest friends, but more importantly, the, the greatest experts on this relationship. Um, I consider myself a continuing student of the relationship, not necessarily an expert. It's certainly true, Duncan, that when you prepare for a presidential visit, that often takes months. Although, to be fair, there have been lots of presidential visits that have come about relatively quickly, usually because there is some forcing event. Um, but we, in the sort of bureaucratic morass that prepares these things, always talked about presidential visits as action-forcing events, right? They are ideal ways to get things done that you can't get done at a lower level, right? They are ways to make big jumps and not just incremental move forward. And that, in some ways, is what's so striking about this visit. It is not likely to make a big jump forward. Um, it, you know, I don't want to necessarily join the, the chorus of naysayers, but where is the beef in this visit, literally? Um, when you have a presidential visit to celebrate something that's already done, that's fine. You can pat yourselves on the back for the USMCA for its implementation. That is a good thing. But you have to have more than that. We certainly would never have recommended, and that, and I, this is a bipartisan comment, Republican or Democrat, to a president that he meet without other things on the table that, that the U.S. wanted to get to, to advance the relationship. And that's what I think is lacking here, and that's why there have been a lot of critics. Obviously, there are critics for many other reasons as well. But the real question is what comes out of this. And frankly, to me, it's a bit of a lost opportunity. This is an ideal time to relaunch a North American relationship um, with all three of the leaders, um, especially with people questioning the relationship with China and the over-reliance on that in supply chains. And yet that's, that's clearly not going to be able to be done here. The final thing I would say is that you know, the other thing that the diplomatic bureaucracy focuses on, at least in the United States, very strenuously, is making sure that presidential or, or high-level visits do not have unintended political consequences in the countries that we visit. Um, when people go for presidential, vice presidential visits ahead of elections, there are scrupulous preparations made to ensure that this does not look like a political act in favor of one candidate or another. And clearly that simply hasn't been done here. Thank you, Roberta. I, uh, I'd like to turn to Tony and, uh, you know, this opportunity that Roberta talks about, I mean, a lot of us who are, who are participating today have emphasized over and over again the need for a more institutionalized approach to the relationship. I know that, Tony, you've just written a piece on that that appeared in The Hill yesterday and, uh, and this morning where you focus on that. Um, I wonder if you could talk about that and feel free to, to jump in on anything that Roberta said about uh, a presidential visit as well, please. Thank you very much, Duncan. Uh, I, I agree uh, with uh, all the points that Roberta made. 
having had the pleasure of working on presidential visits, both from a staff perspective and a uh, policy-making perspective for six different presidents, I can say that uh, there's a lot of work that usually goes into this. And even if it's a short-term visit, something that comes up, you really try and do a lot of serious thinking. You have to work out the agenda of the visit. That includes the substance, but also the meetings and the events, what's going to happen. Um, you have to think through on that substantive side, what outcomes do you want? Even if it's a short visit, thinking through, is there something positive you can do to have forward looking coming out of that? And then that relates to the public affairs message, which as Roberta correctly said, is aimed both at your domestic audience, but also at the domestic audience of your host or your visitor. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes into this and a lot of logistics also. And so in this case, of course, people knew for a little while, but they, I'm sure they've been working really hard to do that. Uh, as you mentioned, I argued, and just in line with what Roberta was saying, that right now what they should be thinking about, and I hope they will, is launching forward-looking initiatives aimed at the economy, at public security, at better border management, at even dealing with migration over the medium and longer term, even though I know that will be a harder initiative to get going. Um, but that's what you can use these visits for. It is great to welcome USMCA, and if you think about USMCA, embodied in that is a really broad and forward-looking economic agenda that needs to be taken forward way out of just the lanes of the trade agencies to think about where we go between Mexico and the United States, where we go across North America. So there's a lot of good that can come out of this, and I look forward to, you know, with optimism that we can see some of this. Thank you, Tony. Geronimo, let's turn to you right now. From the Mexican perspective, uh, and uh, you've been involved in, uh, in Mexican foreign affairs for many years, of course. You were uh, famously uh, uh, undersecretary for North America, for Latin America, or head of the NAD Bank, and of course, ambassador here in Washington. I mean, how is your, uh, how's your view of this visit right now? And, and what are the things that, are, that have gone into the planning for this from the Mexican perspective? Well, first of all, good morning to everybody. As it has been commented, that it's a pleasure to be with my co-panelists. They're not only good professionals, great professionals, but also good friends. And uh, I think it's good that the Institute has put together this, uh, this uh, exercise. It's always, I think, useful to think about what is going on in terms of the relationship. Not unlike Roberta, I consider myself to be passionate about the relationship, but also a permanent student. So I'm, I'm glad that there's there's discussion irrespective of anything else that it's, you know, balanced discussion. I celebrate that. Uh, Duncan, this visit has been described as, you know, in extremes, as a historic mistake on the part of President López Obrador and the Mexican government, and, and at the same time as a very timely and, you know, uh, sort of the, the Nixon visit to China type yeah. of thing, no? I tend to be a little less bombastic about it. I think that, uh, you know, visits are always important. Um, they can be useful uh, to move things, as Roberta was pointing. And in that regard, I think that uh, what is key and what's surprising is, in, in, in positive in a sense, is that there will be a share, there will be a joint communique. Not all visits actually yield a yield communique. What is what's there? I think it's important. It's going to be important. It'll reflect sort of the 
action forcing elements of the visit. And I think uh, that, that the term that Roberta used, I think that's very important. Let's see what comes out in that uh, joint communique or press release. And what's not in the press release will also be important. But I, I you know, I, what I've said before is, you know, it's going to be a polemic visit. It's, uh, it, it, it comes, uh, it's important, certainly. And I, I, I tend to place myself on the side of let's give the benefit of the doubt because the relationship is important. I think that um, there was an op-ed piece by someone, uh, you know, a, a, a newspaper that it, I think it has been largely critical of President Lopez Obrador government, which is a Wall Street Journal, uh, yesterday's op-ed. But they did point to something uh, that I think it's crucial, that this visit, even, you know, in spite of all its polemic it caused and the debate around it, reflects something very clear, which is... It's an admission of shared interests. President Lopez Obrador, who was very critical of President Trump as a candidate and later was very critical of some of the things we, you know, quite frankly, that we did during the, the past administration, suddenly finds himself in the need to work with the Trump administration as best as possible, right? And that is a reflection of shared interest. And I think that on the on the U.S. side, it's it's pretty much the same thing. I celebrate that. I think that, you know, when I, I became ambassador, I, I, I pointed to the fact that I think that if we were, if, you know, if we were able to survive a, this, you know, three years ago, a critical moment that we found ourselves in the relationship, we would have a more mature relationship that it will be more open to very clear differences among us, but uh, with a recognition that we must work together. And I think that this visit, in a sense, resembled. I wouldn't, I wouldn't frame it as, you know, this, you know, uh, historic uh, event. It's an important visit and, 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 and period. And it comes at a difficult time in terms of the political context in the United States. So I would just like to point to um, also the fact that there's going to be I've talked about having the, the basic two costs, two type of costs for President Lopez Obrador. One is, uh, and his government, one is a cost with Democrats, which I have, you know, expressed uh, at least certain concerns about the visit. I personally would have liked to see some form of engagement with the Democratic camp. I think that would have been within the rules of, uh, you know, if, if carefully done within the rules. And I think it would have been balanced. I don't know all the details of how this visit was put together, but I would have certainly liked to see, and I think it would have been better to have, A, the trilateral meeting. That didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, and, and B, some form of uh, interaction with the Democratic side. I think that would have been good. But it's not sufficient to say that the visit is, is going to be a mistake or a huge mistake. I don't think that's the case. There will be a cause with the Democrats, uh, that will need to be minimized as, as much as possible. And I hope it, that that happens. And then internally, there is some cost politically. And I can say this, um, you know, from my own skin, having worked with the Trump administration and being very honest and very blunt about it, any Mexican official who is perceived as trying to uh, reach um, agreements with the Trump administration, trying to work with the Trump administration, is going to be, it's going to pay a political cost because some of the expressions that came out of President Trump when he was, especially when he was a candidate, that were very, 
demeaning to Mexico in general and demeaning to Mexicans. So you're going to pay a political cost. Is that sufficient not to have a visit? I don't think so. And I hope that uh, this visit, and I've said it before, does turn out to be productive for both countries. We need it. The, um, you know, giving the kickoff of the USMCA, uh, it's important. In my view, it's not sufficient. It, it, you know, it does not warrant that in itself, a presidential visit. But let's see in the end what comes out of it. And hopefully it will be something of benefit for both countries because both countries need it right now. Thank you, Ronamara. And, and I think it's very important that you mentioned that, you know, the past uh, three, three and a half years have been turbulent in the relationship. Let's 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 not kid ourselves. And the fact is the relationship has survived. And that's largely because there's been a lot of folks out there in both government, in private sector and civil society who have advocated for the relationship. That's his own particular approach to his relationship with uh, with President Trump. It's a immigration that was hitherto thought unimaginable. And you can interpret that word any, like, any way you like. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been ongoing. It's, uh, it is endures. The relationship is, is still strong. And uh, I think we all hope that this is an opportunity to, uh, to focus on what comes ahead. Carlos, you know, uh, Geronimo mentioned there's been a lot of criticism of this, uh, of this visit. And there's been quite a lot of uh, polemics about it. Um, you uh, uh, participated in the, in, the, in the dialogue last week uh, through a piece that you published. Uh, I wonder if you could give us your reflections on what this means in the in the context of uh, of Mexican politics. Sure. Thanks, Duncan. And, and I want to thank the Mexico Institute at the Wilson Center for organizing this. This is very useful, very illustrative. Um, I, I want to focus on three points. First, the issues. Second, the actors. And third, the political consequences that Ambassador Jacobson has, has raised, has put on the table. Um, first, on the issues, uh, I was just talking, you know, among, we're just talking amongst ourselves um, with the mics open, uh, on the fact that the expectations uh, of what issues are going to be discussed may differ, at least slightly, from each side. Um, from the Mexican perspective, uh, it has been said that this is a celebration of um, USMCA or TEMEC uh, coming into force, that we also want to discuss cooperation on the pandemic, um, how to fight the pandemic, and how the economy will unfold uh, in the aftermath of the pandemic, if there's ever an aftermath. Um, and uh, But I, I have heard and read that from the U.S. side, there may be other points on the agenda, um, such as um, security issues uh, and, and border security issues, uh, drugs. Um, and um, I'm not sure how the mix uh, will play, you know, during the conversations and after uh, the visit. So let's see how this goes. And of course, the, the, the fact that so many issues may be on the table with different expectations from each side is only a reflection of the expectations of their constituencies. Because in Mexico, and Alejandro Moreno will discuss that in a few minutes, um, if you ask uh, you know, the wide audience, uh, the public, are you in favor of, Lop of President López Obrador going to Washington. 
the answer will largely reflect the support that the president enjoys, um, uh, you know, amongst the white audience that will say, yes, if President López Obrador needs to go to Washington, we support that. If you ask the question in the changes, because even within the business sector, I am sure this will reflect the fact that some people in the business sector are expecting President Trump to tell President López Obrador, look, it's not such a good idea to change. The president is not meeting with us. You know, a, a president of Mexico that goes to the United States and does not address or meet with the Mexican community. What is that? Especially with, with the workers who have been excluded, not only from the agenda, but also from the concerns that the Mexican government has put on the table. Uh, so to me, as you know, a participant, academic, uh, observer of our politics, it's very interesting to ask the question, what has moved López Obrador, uh, you know, in his positions? You know, what has prompted him to go from a champion of workers' rights to a president that is extremely cautious not to annoy uh, President Trump and who chooses silence as a response to the many insults that President Trump has pronounced over the last five years against Mexico and Mexicans. Uh, so that's a question for uh, political analysts, for politicians, for diplomats, and it will be for historians. And, and one final thing on this, on this first issue. To me, I want to go back again to the unintended political consequences that Ambassador Jacobson raised. To me, it is uh, absolutely strategic, who is in charge, who is in control of the media narrative. And we have seen in the past that President Trump, you know, can visit uh, President Peña Nieto and a few hours later, you know, say something that goes exactly against the spirit or the alleged spirit of a visit. Uh, of course, uh, he controls his own narrative and, and that's why uh, I totally agree with Ambassador Jacobson that there hasn't been any work, if there can be some work, to control the, 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 the political narrative and the uh, political consequences that this may bring. Thank you, Carlos. And um, thank you particularly for bringing up the, the point about the, the migrant community here in the, in the United States. I mean, two points that I'd like to add here to that, which is that one, despite the economic crisis that's being faced here in the United States, migrants have sent record numbers of remittances back to Mexico at a time when Mexico desperately needs that money. And I, I personally wish there had been more of a recognition of that from the official delegation coming here to Washington. And secondly, of course, you know, the last time that Andrés Manuel López Obrador was in Washington, he was here as a candidate. He spoke at the Wilson Center. And it was during his speech at the Wilson Center that President Trump announced that he was going to end the DACA program. That fight yeah. still goes on today and is very much up on some of the points that Carlos was, uh, was bringing up about public opinion. Um, but I want to remind our audience that we have a Q&A function here. Um, a couple of people have already sent in questions. So if something you'd like to ask the panel, we'll be turning to Q&A in about 20 minutes. Alejandro, 
you just wrote a very, very nice piece for us uh, at the Mexico Institute. Thank you so much for, for putting that up on our website, which looks at the public opinion uh, aspects of both the USMCA and the president's uh, visit and the bilateral relations in general. I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that, those perceptions in the, in the public eye in Mexico. Yes, thank you very much, Duncan. There are, of course, many substantial issues that are discussed about this visit. When we talk about public opinion, many times it comes to the symbolic ones, what is going to be said, what is going to be done, how. And in the piece, what I, what I tried to put together were data asking how is President López Obrador standing before Mexican public opinion right now? What changes have we recorded through the polls? And also what changes there had been in the image of the United States because uh, there have been moments in recent months during the, the last year in which the image Mexicans have had about the United States has been predominantly negative. But for some reason that it's, you know, for analysts and specialists to, to, to think about more deeply, the negative image of the United States has been changing dramatically in the last few months. And I think Lopez Obrador comes to Washington, D.C. in a moment when favorable opinions about the United States are at, at the highest for many, many months. So this is, I think this is a very positive um, uh, context. But on the other side, the, uh, what was the most popular president at the beginning of a term for the last 30 years, this is from Salinas until now, this has been the most popular president just at the beginning of his term, is now uh, seeing his popularity ratings going down also dramatically. So the combination is we have possibly the best opinion of the United States in, in many, many months, and the lowest level of popularity for the president since the beginning of his term. It is still a majority feeling. He enjoys a 56% approval rating, according to the polls that we have conducted for El Financiero newspaper. Um, so it's a majority support, but it's far from those levels close to 80% that we recorded at the beginning. The different problems, the domestic problems that he has mentioned are adding up to this, to this feeling. It has to do mostly not with him personally. He, he, he continues to evoke a lot of uh, respect um, as a politician. We have to remember that at some point he was very dividing. As his popularity ratings go down, we are looking at the crystallization of Mexicans uh, of a Mexican divide of pro-AMLO and anti-AMLO uh, uh, camps. Uh, some people even talk about a higher level of polarization in Mexico. We haven't really measured that, so I will not talk about polarization, but it is clear that his uh, drop in popularity has made this divide more, more evident. So this is how he comes to Washington, um, weakened somehow uh, in his uh, approval ratings, with a high expectation also on the new uh, trade agreement. I think this is partly behind the explanations for changing attitudes towards the United States, not to mention that even though President Trump has been, uh, um, as, as Professor Heredia mentioned before, has been rough in the rhetoric towards Mexicans. But I think 
Uh, I don't have specific data for, uh, for, for this, so it's going to be more impressionistic. I think that that rhetoric has not been as harsh in the last few months when we have actually measured this change of attitude. We would have to, to, to take a look at that. But this is a, an interesting combination for the meeting. A, a president that comes in its lowest point uh, uh, in, in regards to popular support and the optimal, possibly the best uh, uh, scenario for a meeting in the United States. I have to even add that President Trump that has enjoyed, if I can say that, only a single digit of positive opinions among Mexicans for a long time. He has now two digits. For some reason, he's improving. This, of course, doesn't mean that Mexican or, or uh, voters of Mexican origin might actually be considering this. Uh, uh, as some of the uh, analysts have said already, um, the impact of this meeting may not be as much as it would be expected. I think uh, uh, Ambassador Jacobson said, we cannot expect a big, big jump forward, but, but uh, I would add that uh, the expectation that this may have electoral consequences may be also an overstatement, Duncan. Thank you, Alejandro. That's fantastic. I, I'd like to circle back on, on a couple of issues uh, that are here. And uh, one of them, of course, is, is about the timing. We've had a, one of the questions that has come in already from, uh, from Gabriel Espana. And uh, he says, you know, it's great that both presidents are meeting. This was badly needed. But why now? Uh, and his point is that he sees as being very bad timing. In uh, the panelists' experience, uh, are these events negotiated? This meeting was requested by Mexico or the United States. What are we hearing? Um, any views on uh, whether this is a clear sign of political support to President Trump from AMLO? And I think those are some of the questions that have been going around, uh, certainly in Mexico and to a lesser extent here in Washington. Um, I don't know if anybody would like to, to, to come in here. I mean, Geronimo, why don't we come to you, uh, first of all, on, on this one? And how, how would you react to that? Well, the, the main criticism, I think, I, I think there have been two criticisms about the timing of the visit. One that has to do with sort of the, uh, you know, electoral process, election process in the U.S., and that has already been discussed. And the other one that, it, you know, both countries are in the midst of uh, a very serious health emergency. I tend to think that the second one is not an argument against the visit because, I, I, I think that, you know, presidents should be able to travel uh, even if there's an emergency and, you know, remain connected and on top of things. And I, and I think that it's, it's important for the U.S. and Mexico to discuss things that are related to the pandemic, um, such as, um, you know, how can we better synchronize our production processes in the very near future, something that... It's already, you know, uh, it's already present in the relationship about, you know, how can we better protect our border region for this pandemic or any other? So I, I think there's, that, that's not, in my view, a potent argument. The other one has to do with the, you know, the timing in terms of the political process in the U.S. As I said before, I think that it, it would have been a welcome, uh, in my view, it would have been a welcome component of the visit if there was some form of interaction with the other side of the aisle in the United States. I think that would have been uh, and the benefit of everybody. And in my view, and I may be wrong, this would have not um, been sufficient 
for the Trump administration to appeal it. That's something that it's very much um, in the in the type of relationship that we already have. When you know, Mex U.S. officials visit Mexico, and Roberta or Anthony can correct me, but they, but but now it's it's pretty commonplace that they interact with all sorts of political actors. Uh, therefore, I think it's, it's it, it would just have been uh, uh, positive. So, I'm not so you know. Is it the best time? No, probably not. But I, I wouldn't call it again like this is you know it, it's uh, it, it's taking place at a at a terrible moment. There is also evidence that former presidents of Mexico have met previously with presidents in in the you know pretty much in the same states as what is going now. So. I, I do think that uh, there needs to be extra care to make sure that uh, the president, uh, Amlo's visit to the U.S., does not send the wrong signal to the Democratic camp or to anybody else that, you know, he has chosen sides. My view is that the Mexican government should always try to have, you know, not, not bend on any one candidate or any one party in the United States, but sort of have a balanced approach and contact with both of them. Um, the fact that the Congress is in recess right now in the U.S., does not help, uh, I, I guess, um, and and you know perhaps that would have allowed some form of interaction with both parties. I, I'm not sure. Uh, so I, you know the timing might not be perfect, but you know, is there a perfect timing? Always, I I, I would leave it at there. Huh? Thank you, Hieronimo. and I see that uh, both uh, Tony and Roberta and Carlos uh, are anxious to get in here. Let me just add on another question, which came from Jorge Dominguez which is that, uh, and he mentions the timing, he says, uh, but, you know, a no less important question is, why have AMLO and Trump not met until now? Um, sort of the counterfactual. And why negotiate with Pelosi and House Democrats to enact the uh, USMCA successfully and not make a visit to Pelosi or the House as part of the same visit? I mean, part of the answer may just be what Hieronimo has said, but, you know, the House was not in recess. Uh, uh, I think uh, last week they were still in, in, in session. Isn't that right? So uh, anyway, reflections of that. Uh, Roberta, why don't you come in here? Well, a number of things. Um, first of all, I think the idea of presidents traveling during uh, a pandemic, um, while I'm not thrilled with the idea, it's certainly uh, people travel during crises. The, the real question is, is for what, right? I mean, it, there's no reason not to travel if what you're doing at the other end in that visit is so overridingly important to your people, to the relationship, um, that, that it requires it. That's what I don't see here. Um, the second thing is that um, I would not disagree at all with Alejandro's point that a visit like this is not going to affect the outcome of the U.S. election. Although, honestly, I do think that the Trump administration was, was um, not unhappy with the idea that they could present uh, USMCA and the, the, the achievement of the treaty as, a, um, uh, as a, an, a, an electoral uh, prospect. But I, but I think that you do your utmost to make sure that you're not sending a dramatic signal of support for the incumbent president who is also a candidate. And the way you do that, as Hieronimo said, is you meet with the Democrats. I think it's important to remember that USMCA could not have been passed in the United States without Democratic support. Uh, Jorge's question is exactly right. Um, but in fact, Democrats were not invited to the White House ceremony when USMCA was signed. And I don't think it's an accident 
that this visit was planned for a time when Congress was in recess. But even when Congress is in recess, let's say that you don't uh, have a visit with Pelosi or with Schumer because they're in their districts. Steny Hoyer, who's a leader on the Democratic side, is a Maryland congressperson. It's easy enough to arrange something like that to make sure that you are giving at least a nod to the Democrats, and no such request was made. And the request wasn't made in part not to offend President Trump, not to ensure that this doesn't, you know, sully uh, the visit. And I think that is very short-sighted. Um, and I, I think that that the timing of this to say that, you know, why haven't they met before? Obviously, they haven't met before because President Lopez Obrador hasn't uh, chosen to travel in, in 19 months. To choose to travel right now, then, seems a particularly surprising choice, unless, I think, as Alejandro stated, you have some of those statistics that may have made this more politically, domestically politically palatable to AMLO, and certainly uh, something that would please the White House. Thank you. Uh, Tony? Well, I, I would just add to the wise comments of my colleagues that I, I think the main driver here was the completion of USMCA which is a major plus for Mexico. I think we need to recall that 80% of what Mexico exports comes to the United States. USMCA provides 16 years of certain rules. There'll be a lot of problems along the way, but there's a whole prospect of, of certainty for investment in Mexico, for trade with Mexico. And I think that's really important for Lopez Obrador. And even more so during the COVID, 19 crisis when the IMF is now saying they're going to drop GDP by 10.5%. And there are many, many Mexicans out of employment and many more who will probably be out of employment in the future. So this is an opportunity for the president of Mexico to send a positive signal that there's hope out there. And I think uh, Alejandro can uh, validate in his soundings of Mexicans that there's a there's good hope for USMCA, perhaps an exaggerated hope of what it can deliver, as Geronimo said earlier. But there still is hope. And I think that was motivating a lot of the Mexican effort here. And it was Mexico, as it, my strong impression is that the idea initially came from Mexico for this visit. Um, and I think there was debate within the Mexican government about whether this was a good idea or not. Um, but clearly the president came down thinking the calculation was good and positive for him. And I do agree with it. The timing decision was probably uh, largely in the hands of the White House because they were receiving him. So we're, we have this timing uh, because that's what they, they accepted for going forward. Thank you, Ambassador. Uh, Carlos, before, before I let you uh, open the mic for you, there's a couple of comments. One from uh, Ambassador John Negroponte, who says, makes a very good point. He says, shouldn't we be celebrating the fact that AMLO has finally decided to travel abroad? I mean, is this the beginning of a new approach? I mean, this would be a wonderful thing if we saw, you know, him uh, behaving more like a, a Mexican president does in terms of uh, making some strategic visits. Uh, your reaction to that. And then another one from uh, 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 Kate, who just said, uh, uh, what, she's listened to all of the comments so far. Uh, I'm still not sure I know the answer to this. What does President Lopez Obrador get out of this visit? Carlos. Okay. Uh, of course, we are uh, all familiar with uh, this clip in The Economist that 
the only thing uh, President Lopez Obrador uh, will earn will be uh, miles uh, because he traveled on a commercial <laughs> um, But um, let me address both questions, uh, uh, Kate, Kate's question and, and Negro, Ambassador Negroponte's question. I think uh, it's very clear that uh, President Lopez Obrador has the expectation that, of course, visiting the most powerful man in the planet will uh, permit to show him presidential as a leader, uh, as someone who has a very powerful partner who will play a very important role in the recovery of the expected recovery of the Mexican economy after the pandemic, in the aftermath of the pandemic, and that he needs to reassure uh, people in Mexico and outside Mexico that he, um, you know, will continue to work together with um, our trade partner, our neighbor, and that's that's an important message to send. However, uh, and this is where I address uh, Ambassador Negroponte's question. However, I am afraid that the um, phrase that President López Obrador pronounced at the beginning of his mandate, namely that the best uh, foreign policy is a good domestic policy, has reversed because there's a long line of Mexicans who want to talk to the U.S. ambassador and to convey messages to President Trump for the president of the United States to tell the Mexican president how to behave. And that's very strange, you know, to bring into Mexican politics President Trump as a key actor. And that is happening as we speak. Uh, I'm not sure that the visit to Washington precisely now, um, some have written that President Trump did not invite President Lopez Obrador, but rather summoned him. I don't agree with that but the, it has been written. Uh, I, I'm not sure that we're looking at a shift in approach. The American exceptionalism or the U.S. politics exceptionalism is at display here. This is a good example. I'm not sure that it will happen for other cases because no country is nearly as important as the United States uh, for Mexico. And... Um, And so uh, President Negroponte, I mean, <laughs> I'm making him president, Ambassador Negroponte, uh, I would not uh, see this as a, the prologue of many international travels of President Lopez Obrador. Uh, but to, just, to, just to finalize uh, my remarks, um, what does President Trump expect from the visit? I think there's one angle that has not been mentioned, and it is the fact that it doesn't address the Mexican-American or Latino voters, but it rather addresses uh, the white voters in the United States, the white educated voters, uh, maybe women in the, in, in the suburbs. And President uh, Trump is sending the message, look, I'm not a racist. I'm not a white supremacist. I have beside me the president of Mexico, you know, in Mexico, a country of brown people, of Spanish speaking people 
of Catholic people, their president is to my side. And we're doing business together and we're discussing politics together. And that precisely in this moment is uh, uh, a sign by Trump to an electorate uh, uh, that is absolutely, absolutely key for him. I think we're, we're, we're seeing your signal. We're, we're hearing your signal break up a little bit, Carlos, and uh, I think you've just returned to us. But we, I think we got uh, most of what you said there. And uh, you were saying that this is a, you know, a key electorate for, for President Trump in his re-election campaign. And so this uh, is seen by yes. some people as, being, uh, as helping him in that. Thank you. Um, Alejandro, please uh, let me know if you want to jump in on any of these issues. But I, I'm going to group together a number of the questions that are coming in right now. And there are actually uh, uh, some really good questions here on what is issues are going to be discussed. We've, we've already talked about that a little bit. But you know, one, one question that has been brought up here is, uh, you know, on, on the health front, is there any possibility of making real progress on health cooperation between Mexico and the United States at this point in time? Or do we really have to wait until after the pandemic? Another one, can we uh, you know, sort of keep the, uh, the bridge open or the borders open? for the flow of uh, medical supplies, personal protective equipment, et cetera. Another one which uh, I, I know that will interest you, Geronimo, is on, you know, will water be part of the, uh, the conversation here? You know, that, that uh, seemingly millennial issue between Mexico and the United States. Uh, and somebody else has written about uh, the question of energy regulation. Is that going to appear on the agenda? Maybe that's going to be one of the issues that will be discussed at the, uh, at the dinner tonight. And, and the list goes on. So perhaps we could uh, we we could circle back with that, but I want to give Alejandro a chance if you want to come in here to uh, to build on the other issues, and then please let me know who wants to jump in next, Alejandro. Thank you, Duncan. Just very briefly on two on two questions that were asked. The first one um, is this something to celebrate? I would I would agree with those who say yes, and so would the majority of Mexicans that we poll. There was an excitement about this, as Carlos already already said. 59% of those we polled agreed with the visit. Um, he's right. If we uh, word the question in different ways, maybe we can find different results. But just in the most neutral, balanced way, the majority of Mexicans agreed with it. And they agreed partly because the USMCA is widely perceived as something very positive. 64% of those people, the Mexicans we polled, expect positive results within a year. In a moment that we know the country is sinking badly in, in economic terms, and not only, I'm not gonna get into the hard data of that, of the economics, but on the subjective data that, that, that we get through the polls. During the pandemics, I don't remember measuring any attitude that had positive ratings, except the, the approval ratings for the president. Anything else has been a bad mood from the majority of Mexicans. Low expectations, negative expectations about the future. About a third of our respondents who have reported losing income or losing a source of or a job or a so, source of work. Uh, I mean, this is getting really negative in terms of the mood that we have been measuring, with the exception of USMCA. This has been very surprising because 64% are optimistic about it and they expect quickly results. Of course, this is a risky, this is a risky issue too, because if it doesn't 
work like that, it may actually cost additional you know, uh, points down in the approval ratings and ultimately in the election that we have next year in, in July. But um, um, aside from that, what does Lopez Obrador get from this? I think that in addition to the approval ratings, we have uh, clear measures that perceptions about government performance are very negative. Uh, over 60% of respondents giving us negative ratings on how the government is handling the economy, uh, crime, uh, even those uh, flag issues of Lopez Obrador like corruption and poverty. The only one that is kind of even and, and, but has a negative trend is the handling of the pandemics itself. So uh, everything is becoming very negative. And when we ask about Lopez Obrador's attributes, he continues to be perceived as an honest, as an honest man, but his ratings in leadership have been going down, and especially those in uh, the capacity to deliver, to, to provide results from his government. I think that performance is what is the main critical part of those, I'm not talking about his critics, but the public at large. What he may get from the visit is perhaps, perhaps, and I'm going to say it, I'm, I, I feel more comfortable measuring than, than speculating, but I will speculate a little bit, perhaps a rebound in his popularity ratings, a rebound that may benefit from this visit, but that is not likely to last if those results are not start to be uh, perceived by, by most Mexicans. Thank you. Uh, Tony. And then Geronimo. Just to add on what Alejandro said, um, and going back to your question about will there be more, th more health cooperation and other things, I think there, there's a likelihood there will be more cooperation on getting the two economies going again, on making sure the supply chains are working well. And so that will have impact on those related to the health sector, uh, but also other sectors. And that's because both presidents want the economies to start cranking up again. And so there will be a focus on that. What we should look for is, does anything specific come out of this visit that you can see evidence of that from Alejandro's words come, or is there gonna be better implementation you know, on the Mexican side and better collaboration with the US side as this goes forward? There's a lot of wisdom in doing that because both economies do need to start growing and these supply chains are vital, but for both economies, for Mexico for sure, but also for the United States. Um, so I think that's one area where I, I hope we'll see some practical you know, good coming forward. Thank you, Geronimo, and then we're gonna to turn to Roberta. Uncle, just, just a couple of comments uh, related to this question. So let me go out on a limb here and assume that I would, I'm, I'm advising President Lopez Obrador on, 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 on right before his visit. I would have said two things, I think. One is, you, you decided to support USMCA, a negotiation that, was, that, you know, that came before you were uh, elected. You took the right decision to support continuing economic integration in North America. And that's something very positive. But do not make the mistake that USMCA, CA would be sufficient to turn around the Mexican economy. And I, I, I think that that's the strategic mistake. 
It's okay to celebrate that we have this new trade agreement, especially in the light of what is happening worldwide with respect to globalization and trade. But let's not make the mistake to think that that will solve all the woes and the troubles in Mexico on the economic front, because I don't think it will. If there is not a better investment climate for both foreign and domestic private investment, it will be very difficult to use the opportunity of USMCA and the drift between China and the United States to our advantage. In that, in that sense, I think it's positive that, you know, today's dinner, I hope that he will hear view from very relevant CEOs from the United States and Mexico that I hope will point and will raise this issue in whatever appropriate way to the Mexican delegation. So that, that to me, the strategic mistake here is to think just keep just the USMCA by itself. It's a sufficient condition to turn around the Mexican economy. The other thing that I would say is, and I, I continue to learn about the relationship, obviously, but one of the things that I'm deeply uh, convinced is, and I, I always use this phrase, is in the U.S.-Mexico relationship, reality tends to impose itself on everybody. And therefore, be very careful with playing politics with the relationship, because it usually comes back to bite you. I think that both presidents benefit from this visit politically. I think that President Trump, and, and perhaps rightly so, is reminding his base that he has delivered on a very important campaign commitment, which was to renegotiate what was described by himself as the worst trade agreement ever, which was um, NAFTA. I don't share that view, but I, I, I live with that view, and I discussed that view with his administration. And I think he's much related to what Carlos was saying. This is a message to his base political, saying, I delivered on one of my key campaign promises. And at the same time, I think that President López Obrador is trying to do two things. And I think it's legitimate, whether you know you like it or not. And I'm, mind you, I'm a right-of-the-aisle technocrat forming the neoliberal period, and therefore I'm bound to have a lot of differences with philosophical differences but with the Trump administration. With, don't be with, so uh, tough on yourself, Aaron, uh, okay? We like you. I'm, but I, I don't take it personally, right? The, so the point is, he's, he's also benefit for the fact that he will show that he has, uh, he, AMLO has made a contrast, a frequent contrast to the past. And that, you know, that might be okay. And I think he's also trying to contrast the very immediate past in the relationship. We, you know, we didn't achieve a visit of President Peña. It was, you know, the conditions were just not there. And I think that he's trying to show he is very, President, in my view, President Lopez Obrador is someone who very much has knowledge of the 18th, of the 19th century. And I think that in his spirit, the relationship with, with you know, with between Abraham Lincoln and Juarez very much gravitates in how he sees his visit also. I think there's no coincidence that he, because it was a time that both countries were at a very difficult uh, moment, political internally, that they were, the two presidents were bound to have huge differences. And yet they managed to, you know, coexist, if I may use that term. And I think that's what he's trying to show. You know, some people might criticize that politically, 
Yes, I can understand why, but in the end, the hope is that this, this visit does generate some things that are positive for both countries. And we have to see what comes out of, of, of the meetings. Thank you, Geronimo. Roberto, over to you. I'll be really quick because I think that my colleagues have said a lot of what, what needs to be said about this. But the, uh, the point of um, USMCA not being sufficient for economic recovery or, or renewed growth I think is a very important one. It, it is, in fact, the exact same mistake we would make um, with NAFTA, right? NAFTA was going to solve all the problems. In fact, structural um, uh, reforms were not made in Mexico, and we did not take full advantage of NAFTA. In this case, the underlying circumstances for why there'll be a 10.5% contraction in the Mexican economy and the U.S. economy is contracting this year um, as well is likely... Uh, not to be sufficient for, for myriad reasons. But one of the largest of them is that the Lopez Obrador administration has not made foreign investors feel the certainty that they need for investments. And that if that doesn't change, all the positives of USMCA will be insufficient. Um, certainly, I expect at the dinner tonight, that there will be conversations, even if not about specific sectors, although those will probably be raised by some of the participants, but there will certainly be a conversation about worrisome signals for investors beginning before AMLO even took office, but continuing up to this day, um, that they really should not have confidence in investing in Mexico. And that is, to me, one of the biggest problems that Mexico faces and one of the biggest sort of reassurances that, that Lopez Obrador could give to, to his public, to a, the U.S. and other foreign investors would be to try and impose greater certainty. And I'm not sure I see that uh, coming. The second thing I would say is that it has long been a truism in U.S. Uh, political circles, and I would extend this internationally, that leaders who are facing crises at home go abroad, right? Um, and in this case, you have a president facing a, a real sort of triple or quadruple whammy of, you know, cratering oil prices at one point, a collapse in tourism, COVID, et cetera, um, and, and they go abroad. And so in a sense, what Lopez Obrador has chosen to do is very much in a tradition of leadership. And he's chosen to sort of go, go big by going to the place he thinks, and I think rightly thinks, Mexicans care the most about for their own economic future. But if he thinks, and I think one of the things that you have to be looking for, if he thinks that somehow going to the U.S. at this moment, to Washington in this moment, not seeing the Democrats, et cetera, is going to insulate him or protect him from future actions by this president, especially in a campaign year, um, against tariffs, against some kind of other punitive measure, I think he's fooling himself. Witness the fact that obviously we have discussion of aluminum tariffs vis-a-vis -vis Canada right now as we're celebrating USMCA. This is not a president who necessarily says, these are my new partners, I will not penalize them, no matter what. Thank you, Roberta. This is, I have to share with our audience that this is, I think, one of the most dynamic discussions we've ever had from the audience as well. We've got uh, more than, I mean, I think it's almost 40 questions have come in. There's no way we can possibly cover all of them, so I'm going to try to group them together. But I do want to read out one from uh, our friend Antonio Ortiz Mena, but I think it's a good one. Um, 
when would be a good time to assess the cost benefit of this visit? After the POTUS campaigning rally in New Hampshire next week, after November 3rd, after January 2021, given the DACA and student visa announcements this week, how should we assess the visit? Uh, commitments by AMLO on rule of law and respecting U.S. investments in Mexico, agreement on curtailing arms trafficking, risk of quid pro quo on, on IDB and WTO. That's something that's been discussed many, many times. A couple of other questions came in on that. So how do we evaluate with the success of a visit? And one of the things that we don't do very well in the think tank world is do any kind of evaluation of the commitments that are made. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something we need to focus on more. We have some very high level meetings. We have big declarations, joint communiques. And then what? Where's the follow through? So how do we evaluate this? Carlos, go ahead. You're on mute. Yes. Okay. Um, well, I, I think there's one underlying assumption uh, that does not correspond with reality. Um, and the underlying assumption is that everything that is discussed is agreed upon or that it comes as a result of, uh, you know, an agreement. And I think what happened last year on June 7th, 2019, was not an agreement. It was an imposition that the Mexican side had to take uh, whether or not they liked it because they felt that the threat of tariffs was so imminent uh, that they couldn't back down. And they, and they said, we'll swallow the pill and we'll use the National Guard to contain, detain, deport uh, uh, Central American migrants. Um, so the question is up in the air. Uh, you know, what transpires, what comes out of this, what will be the result of an agreement and what will be the result of the more, the most powerful player imposing his conditions on the other side. Um, but to answer uh, Antonio's question, I think that uh, the, the fact that in the couple days uh, preceding the visit, uh, President Trump goes to the border wall in construction in Arizona, announces that, as Ambassador Jacobson reminded us, he may resubmit the uh, termination of DACA, and also announces that students on visas that are not going to attend physically a classroom have to go back home, obviously do not bode well for the visit itself, and announce that, you know, you have to evaluate the visit all along, um, and, and it is always a good time to evaluate, even as we speak, uh, because things are unfolding and happening so quickly that, of course, you cannot find a causality a relationship, you know, if A, then B, uh, but things are happening, uh, you know, every day that lead me to believe um, that the narrative that President Trump wants to impose on this is well designed according to his own interests, and that is not, you know, a surprise. Um, and I am afraid that that is the narrative that will prevail after the visit, if we see uh, previous patterns. And another thing I, I, that we have uh, left aside is what is happening at the, especially at the Texas uh, Tamaulipas border. Um, 
You know, the number of people that are living there, you know, as part of the remain in Mexico or euphemistically called migrant protection protocol uh, is, is, is really a, a tragedy, a human tragedy, a humanitarian tragedy. Um, because supposedly that was part of an agreement, you know, and Mexico uh, should have, you know, looked after those people, you know, for shelter, for food, for healthcare, and none of that has happened. And they have been, the asylum seekers have been totally abandoned to the hands of organized crime. Um, so one thing may be supposedly agreed, but what happens afterwards uh, leads us to believe that maybe it wasn't part of an agreement. It was part of an imposition or it was part of the impossibility um, to really deliver on all uh, the demands from the other side. So my question to, uh, you know, I think Antonio's questions are very relevant. And my question to all of us is, will the uh, Central American migrants, will the asylum seekers be uh, continue to be seen and considered as bargaining chips instead of human people who have rights. Thank you, Carlos. I know that uh, Tony wants to jump in here as well. Um, I just want to mention a couple of the points that, that reinforce what you just said, uh, uh, Carlos. A number of people have talked about uh, the migration issue and uh, the fact that you do have this kind of crisis uh, that. Uh, you know, it hasn't gone away. It may have been put on pause, but and you know, the the migrants that that were there on the Mexican side of the border, um, you know, they seem to have disappeared. They're still there somewhere, and it is a, t a terrible humanitarian uh, tragedy that we're seeing there. And, and one of our, uh, uh, our viewers has actually uh, made the point about the contrast between you know what's going on in terms of DACA, Mexican Americans here in the United States, the migration issue. And the dinner that's going to be hosted tonight. Now, this is standard exactly. form for a presidential visit. But is that the image that Andres Manuel Obrador wants to send to Mexican-Americans, to migrants, to his own people? Is that the way it'll be seen? Tony, I'd like to turn it over to you. Well, thank you. Uh, Carlos made very pertinent and good points. And Antonio's questions were excellent. I think it's going to, this visit's going to be evaluated next week and the week after and next month going forward. There's not going to be one point of evaluation. But I do want to make a pitch for a great framework for considering the outcome of this visit and what happens following it. And that's a report that came out on Monday that Roberta and Geronimo and a number of our other colleagues, former ambassadors, uh, contributed to and put out by the Mexico Institute and the U.S.-Mexico Foundation. And it actually comes up with a framework for taking U.S.-Mexico relations forward, not just in the next weeks, but in the, the months and the years ahead. And I think that's a great framework for everybody to look at. And you can find it on the Mexico Institute website. But let me just mention the pillars of that. The first one we talk about are strong institutions to work problems over a longer period of time, because they are hard problems between the U.S. and Mexico. Secondly, is sustaining public support. And that means not neglecting people-to-people -people connections. And that, of course, touches on migrants, but it touches on students also. And that's how you build relations over a long period of time. The third is a coordinated bilateral economic strategy. It goes way beyond USMCA. The elements that are mentioned at USMCA, but it's going to take a much 
more richer collaboration to develop this relationship between the two countries. The other one is modernized security and intelligence cooperation. There's no question that that cross-border crime and other threats are a real living threat to both countries that contribute to the deaths of thousands of Americans and thousands of Mexicans. That needs to be better dealt with. Um, border management relates to all of these. Can we be can we be better at managing that border? And then finally, dealing with migration in a broader framework, in a longer time frame, really looking at the root causes and not just focusing on enforcement. However important enforcement is, there are human rights involved, there are other causes of this, and we need to address it. So I just want to give this a pitch for everybody who's interested in looking and evaluating this over the long term. Take a look at this report. There's a lot of wisdom of many decades of working on U.S.-Mexico relations from both sides of the border that went into this. Thank you, Tony. It's great, too, that, that you give a, 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 an important plug for that. I mean, three of the, uh, uh, the panelists here participated in that conversation. Carlos was kind enough to come along and brief us at the beginning of it. Um, and uh, I do think it's a very valuable report. And I think it's a, a report that actually lays out an approach to the bilateral relationship irrespective of political affiliation, partisan bias, uh, or, or individuals. And I think that's, that's the key point, is that this relationship is simply too important to be left to individuals. We need to have an institutional uh, approach there. Roberta. Thanks, Duncan. Just a quick point about the evaluation. I, 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 think, I think it's correct, but also a bit of a, uh, an easy out to say this uh, visit will be evaluated sort of continually on a rolling basis. It, it certainly will in general terms. But I do think that Antonio makes a good point that we have to remember and had been referenced earlier about Trump's visit to Mexico in 2016 and then immediately going to Arizona to give the speech uh, that was quite negative vis-a-vis -vis Mexico. I think we need to look at what happens in New Hampshire immediately after the visit. Um, you know, it, is that going to be the time to announce the refiling of the DACA ending? Or is that going to be a time in which um, he celebrates the wall and all he got out of Mexico and, re and reinforces this bizarre message that Mexico is paying for the wall because of the trade agreement, which he has said repeatedly? I, I think that'll be sort of our first indicator. It's it's not, you know, all the way down the field, but it's your first down um, to see how this, this visit is used by President Trump and therefore to begin to evaluate was it successful or not. Obviously, the publication, if it occurs, of a joint communique today um, and what that entails, what is announced, what is advanced, what kind of institutions are created, um, one of the things people have talked about is how there really needed to be some kind of an institutional relationship to better discuss the misalignment of essential industries during a pandemic. Well, for goodness sakes, that's what the high-level economic dialogue was all about. Um, and this administration refused to, to re-up uh, that high-level economic dialogue. But the truth is, every administration changes things a little, including a name. They, they could have uh, relaunched something like that. We'll have to wait to see. Um, I also think we cannot expect this, uh, this visit to produce anything along the lines of the rule of law or human rights. But I would note that the finding of remains of another student of the 43 from Ayotzinapa just this week really um, reinforces the need 
to have conversations or continue conversations, I should say, since they're things that Jeronimo and, and Tony and Carlos and I have worked on, on rule of law uh, into the future. Yeah, thank you, Roberta. I, 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 you've touched on some of the most important issues that are, that are outstanding on the, uh, on the question chain here. Um, uh, a number of uh, the people who are, who are listening have brought up the issue of the, uh, the Ayotzinapa 43 um uh, are the questions that are there about corruption will that get anywhere near the agenda um between the uh, the presidents or the delegations mm-hmm. uh, my response was i doubt very much there's going to be up there um but uh uh alejandro i want to give you the chance to uh, to come in here you know, we're talking about evaluating the success of the visit when are you going to be doing a poll that will see how mexicans actually viewed this uh, this visit well duncan i think that um from the media perspective, this should merit the poll right right away. We will we will try to do that. We'll check with the newspaper, but obviously, there might be uh, uh, from the experience we have had uh, uh, from previous visits in, 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 uh, with other presidents, uh, we might have the very immediate reaction to to the symbolic part of the visit. Uh, again, there are important substantive issues, uh, but what he does, what he says, what they say to each other, how they say, say it to each other. I think this is the kind of public opinion uh, phenomenon that we will have to be observing. So I, I hope to have fresh data soon, um, uh, pending the approval by, by El Financiero. But let me add one, one thing that perhaps we have not talked about uh, enough, but this is something that President Lopez Obrador has mentioned in some of his recent speeches about the bilateral relationship, and is the, the topic of remittances, uh, Duncan, um, which may uh, have also created the expectation that they may be linked with uh, political support, with, with somehow be linked with approval ratings. Uh, what we have observed is that in the last weeks, that approval ratings for Lopez Obrador have, have gone to the lowest point in all his uh, government. It's a time when remittances have actually shown these uh, moments of trouble for Mexican families, the solidarity from families in the United States. They have gone up, as we know. And we measured in the last poll how um, receiving remittances might link to uh, political support. In the poll, almost 40%, about 38% of respondents say that they have family members in the United States. This is a huge percent, of course, we know that. And from those, about 14% say they actually receive uh, uh, resources, money, remittances from their family members. Uh, Interestingly, those who receive remittances are the ones who approve the least of the way the president is doing his job. So this is not translating into political support, not at the aggregate level, because we saw a peak in remittances and, uh, and, and going down uh, in, the, in the approval ratings. And at the respondents level, those who actually are linked by family and receive money show the lowest levels of support. Just to give you the number, those who do receive remittances have uh, 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 show a 50% approval rating. Those who do not, and also do not have any family members, are at 59. That's a nine point difference. Not very large, but significant enough to, you know, to tell us that this is not translating into political support. Just going back to previous presidencies, 
there wasn't even these differences. Uh, the, 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 the variation was only 2.3 points between the two groups, so it means really not much in terms of political support, but the president, President Lopez Obrador has been emphasizing this as if it was. Maybe, maybe he, didn't, he doesn't mean it politically, but I will leave it there for discussion. Thank you, Alejandro. There's, uh, uh, there's so many issues that we're discussing right now, it's, uh, it, it's bewildering, but uh, I'll just throw something else into the, into the mix. A couple of uh, folks have written in asking about uh, the issue of China. And, uh, you know, this is an opportunity to celebrate the USMCA TMEC. Is it also an opportunity to talk about, uh, you know, the, uh, the position of China in, uh, in, uh, in Latin America, in Mexico, um, and how perhaps uh, Mexico can take advantage of nearshoring, etc. So, uh, yeah, Carlos, please come in. Thanks, Duncan. Uh, I think there is an underlying assumption that Mexico can attract a lot of uh, Chinese business and investment uh, out of the fact that there is, you know, always an ongoing trade war between a technological uh, leadership war between the United States and China. And I, I think that may be misled because the question we have to ask ourselves is why hasn't it materialized over the last 25 years? Chinese investment in Mexico is extremely low and I don't see the conditions for it to change dramatically even if we continue to have this, this framework of, of, you know, animosity and adversity between um, China and the United States. The conditions are not there, you know, domestically in, in Mexico. And the cancellation of the Mexico City Querétaro train uh, was a bad omen for the future of uh, Chinese investment in Mexico. It's just not going to happen overnight. Uh, but I, I, I want to say something about uh, domestic politics in the United States that that we Mexicans will should follow very closely. And it is the fact that in the pandemic, it is the Latinos and the African-Americans who have taken the hardest hit, you know, um, and those are, you know, the segments of the U.S. population who do the, the harshest work. Um, so uh, it, it is an irony to me that, you know, day laborers uh, who hail from Mexico and work in the United States to produce the food that is eaten by U.S. families, uh, you know, are, you know, designated as essential workers with no rights whatsoever. But the Mexican side is silent about their situation, about their condition. You know, it, it is an irony. And, and the question on who attends the dinner, who's at the table, whose agenda is discussed, uh, is extremely uh, relevant. And another issue that I was also asked in the Q&A is the IDB issue, you know, the, the, the Inter-American Development Bank uh, leadership, the fact that the Trump administration has basically outsourced part of its Latin American policy uh, to the Cuban Republicans. Um, the Cuban American Republicans um, is very illustrative about the fact that he or the administration does not care about, you know, a tacit agreement that it should be a Latin American um, who leads uh, the IDB and number two post goes to the United States. Um, but basically it's outsourcing the U.S. foreign policy to Latin America um, in light of the presidential election in Florida. Um, and I say this because 
uh, not enough people are paying attention to that uh, in Mexico. And and um, and my last comment goes precisely to uh, the need uh, for a framework, like Ambassador Wayne raised, the need for a framework on the overall relationship, but also on the very issues that have been raised during this conversation. You know, what, uh, what kind of a blueprint is a possible Biden administration preparing on this? You know, how, what is the room of maneuver uh, to change policy or to just change the way that policy is enforced? And those are questions that we have to address as we prepare what, what is coming next. Thank you, Carlos. Um, we have about eight minutes left, and uh, you know there's a, there's a number of uh, other interesting questions that are in the uh, the chain here. Um, our old friend David Shirk has. Uh, got up early in California, and he's written in a very provo provocative question. Uh, after getting AMLO to buy in on MPP, any chance Trump will get AMLO to pay for the wall? I think we, we, we know the answer to that one, unless anybody has a, a different perspective. But there are so many concerns here about the business environment in Mexico. And, uh, you know, I'd like to get, offer the, the chance now for our panelists to provide kind of closing comments, but anything else you'd like to say to, 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 to talk about, and particularly in a more forward-looking perspective. And Tony brought up the, uh, the convocation report, um, which uh, is now out and uh, available to the public, which I think does that. It provides a more longer-term uh, perspective on the, uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the relationship. And, uh, but, uh, you know, beginning with, uh, uh, with you, Roberta, yeah, what, what would you like to, uh, to, to leave with the public about this, uh, this visit, the relationship in general? Well, I, I guess the, the closing comment that I would make is that this relationship is too important to be left only to the leaders. Um, it's too important to be left only to politicians. Um, one of the greatest joys of being on Comexis, the U.S.-Mexico Fulbright-Garcia-Robles um, board, is to see the range and depth uh, of interest by young people in incredible um, range of subjects um, that affect our lives each day. Um, that most of the threats that face the United States and Mexico right now are transnational. They're not, uh, they can't be contained, whether that's a pandemic or environmental and climate change or, or others. Um, including those resulting from economic integration. And so you have to, the only way to resolve those is to resolve them together. I, I tend overall, as, as you are, Duncan, to be an optimist, and Tony, about this relationship. I, I think all of us on this panel are committed to this relationship and, and understand that we are better together, that we do better together for our populations. I think this is a particularly fraught moment for the relationship. Um, I think it is telling that, you know, we were talking before we went uh, formal to the fact that the American Chamber of Commerce is not, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is not at tonight's dinner. Well, neither is the CCE or other of the leaders of the Mexican chambers or chamber of chambers. But I think we need to develop the institutions that channel those relationships. We have it with the U.S.-Mexico CEO dialogue, but we need to get back to them in government 
because they ensure the resilience of the relationship through whatever shock may, may affect it. But we also need to expand, to celebrate, to deepen the people-to-people contacts that help us mitigate the effects of migration policies or immigration policies, explore the cultural connections between the two countries, and are also the absolute biggest check on anything that would truly blow up this relationship, um, because those are the, the human connections that keep this relationship grounded. Um, so I remain optimistic, despite being somewhat pessimistic about this particular chapter in the relationship. Um, we need each other too much. We like each other too much. And we do better when we work together. Thank you, Roberta. Alejandro. Thank you very much, Duncan. I think that in addition to seeing the president for the first time in an international stage, um, we haven't seen it uh, for the last 19 months of his government, uh, there is another thing that I think is new, and it's the fact that he's gambling part of his political capital. Uh, this, is, this is certainly risky. We had not see, seen him doing that. When the pandemics began, he enjoyed a rebound in popularity, kind of like a rally effect for the pandemic crisis, but uh, not strong measures were taken, even with uh, an additional uh, political capital at the moment. So I think this is a moment when he is actually gambling, he's taking the risks, and it will be very interesting to see whether he wins and for how long or if he loses. So I think in terms of public opinion, it will be very, very interesting. Thank you, Alejandro. Uh, Jeronimo. You're on mute, Jeronimo. There you go. I, I will close with three comments, Duncan. Um, the first one is that in my experience, you know, I tend to think that what Mexicans want of the relationship with the U.S., and other government is a relationship that is useful, that it positively affects their daily lives. I think that Mexicans have learned over the years to understand that there's a difference between the political narrative on the relationship and what actually happens on the relationship on a daily basis. To the extent that this visit is useful in that regard, that it can actually positively positively affect the life of Mexicans because it's, uh, you know, it, it moves something on the economic front, on the migration front, on anything else. I think that will be, you know, I, I would personally describe it as, as, as a positive outcome. Um, it's no secret that there are differences and there will continue to be difference between the Mexican government and the Trump administration. I think that if, if this visit allows somehow to make those differences obvious and clear, but not insulting, I think that would be something positive. I, and, and I think that's key. We will always have differences, and probably in this context even more so, but we need to learn to make those differences clear, public, but not insulting, not demeaning, not unrespectful, uh, because that any relationship as complex as the one we have is liable to have difference. Number two is, I, I'm not of the view that Mexico should sit on the aisle on the migration debate in the United States. It's one thing to understand that it is solely the responsibility of the U.S. Congress and the executive branch and 
the U.S. people to determine how to handle their immigration system. And that's clear, and there's no question about it. But there's so there's so much so many things that we can do better on immigration if we actually recognize that we need to work together on many fronts. I would like to see that the issue of immigration is raised. When Roberta and I, uh, during the you know Bush uh, Fox administration, later on dealt with immigration, you know we had this. You know we always went to the what we want is legal, safe, orderly migration. And that might be a you know a far encompassing concept to general of a concept. But what we were trying to say is this issue is hard for each country, but we're trying to work at it. I would love to see uh, you know that sort of narrative in the future in the relationship. We have huge differences of immigration. Uh, President Trump might have very different views from what Mexicans see on the immigration debate, but hopefully we can have a, a you know begin to talk about it in a more constructive way. And finally, again, I would love to see that this results, you know, th that this visit is helpful to understand that the business climate in Mexico, that the invest, you know, the climate for private investment in Mexico has deteriorated over the past, you know, 12 months, and that we need to address this. And there are there are obviously policy differences from the past uh, that, the, that the AMLO administration has. But I think that we must recognize that unless there is more private investment in Mexico, it'll be very difficult to turn around the economy. And I hope that today's visit is conducive to that line of thinking. Thank you, Geronimo. Tony. Uh, thank you, Duncan. And just to build on what Geronimo said, to put it a little bit different way, that last point, there are a lot of opportunities in USMCA and in the reaction to global supply chains, but Mexico has to take up those opportunities constructively. And they do have to attract that investment. And there are some reconsideration of policies that are, are due. I think the big message, uh, let me just go back to a very basic fact, there is no bilateral relationship in the world that touches the daily lives of more Americans than the U.S.-Mexico relationship. We should not forget that. That's why this visit is important, because it's a, it's a post-mark in that process. And that's why all the crisis management of the past 18 months is important, because it's been missing the opportunities and the important issues that are there. So yes, what's key is how do you take that forward? Can we build the mechanisms and institutions to deal with the problems and take advantage of the opportunities? Can we involve the stakeholders? Remember, there are about 5 million American jobs that depend on trade with Mexico, and there are a couple million Mexican jobs that depend on trade with the United States. That's a big impact in households all across, and then well over 12 million, if you count Canada, in, into this. So that's a big relationship, and we need to remember it's important, and we need to dedicate the attention that's needed, not governments, yes, but not just governments. Other people who are touched by this important set of relationships. Thank you, Tony. Carlos, uh, penultimate word from you. First, I'm going to use my, my Canada coffee mug uh, ah. to send uh, greetings and hugs. Uh, uh, to my Canadian friends, because it's very important not to lose the North American perspective. 
um, it's very interesting that, uh, you know, the, the term North America uh, was left out of the new agreement, the USMCA agreement. And it may be partly because uh, we're formal partners, but the notion of North America that the Trump administration has, uh, I don't agree with. It's basically, you know, a, a, a white uh, region, a white country, which does not correspond to the composition of, of uh, U.S. demographics or not of the whole uh, North American subcontinent. And I think we're all, we're all bound to gain more when we take, you know, a North American framework uh, to this vision beyond beyond the ever, you know, tempting uh, dual uh, bilateral relationship uh, framework. And the second comment is uh, to end on an optimistic uh, note, just like Ambassador Jacobson did. Um, I, I wish we would move from a you know pointing fingers uh, approach to a um, building uh, shared responses to common challenges approach. I know it now sounds like wishful thinking, but I think all the demonstrations I saw in more than 70 U.S. cities after uh, the killing of George Floyd, and and what I see in Mexico as as an increasing awareness of the importance of you know, civic participation and engagement and to understand really what is going on you know, in our countries, you know, that Mexicans understand what is going on in the US and Canada and Canadians and Americans understand what is going on in Mexico is very important. So I, I want to send uh, special thanks um, to the Mexico Institute uh, of the Wilson Center for organizing this. In, in what I see a, 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 as a major contribution to spur the dialogue among the peoples, you know, of, of, of the three countries. You also have a Canada Institute, and, and as Roberta correctly stated, this goes way beyond the Beltway and way beyond presidential politics, and it's extremely important to nurture this dialogue and take care of our students, of our migrant workers, uh, of our investors, of different segments of society uh, that help build this uh, great relationship. Thank you so much, Carlos, for those very kind words. Um, before closing, just three points very quickly. One, of course, we reached out to the Mexican embassy to see if they wanted to participate in this event, um, but obviously they're very, very busy with, uh, with other business right now. But we do hope that we can attract the Mexican embassy uh, and hopefully the ambassador herself to come and speak uh, about uh, the results of this visit at some point soon, because I think that would be a, a wonderful event, and uh, hopefully our panelists can help to uh, to persuade uh, the embassy that that's a good idea. Number two, please tune in again this afternoon. We're going to be having another panel looking at the uh, energy regulatory framework in Mexico and whether or not a level playing field can survive. That's going to be another Zoom event at one o'clock. And to close out, I want to actually quote one of our uh, 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 anonymous attendees who said, thank you outstanding, could listen in for hours. This is complex and transcendental. In Mexico, since the Negra Ponte era, those were the best 4th of July bashes. Thanks to all for their enormous contributions. So I don't know who that is. It's may, it may be somebody's mother for all I know, but uh, that is a, uh, that's a great comment. I think it sums up this, this panel. Thank you all so much. It's been very, very dynamic and interactive, and I look forward to connecting with you all again. Thanks to our very large public out there, not just for listening in, but for sending in questions. It helped to make this a better event, and we hope to see you all again very soon. 
Many thanks. The Wilson Center, chartered by Congress in 1968, is the nation's key nonpartisan policy forum for tackling global issues by means of independent research. I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.